You are listening every weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, the upgrade? Yeah, upgrades. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting to the 3.0 territory, which is a little scary, but pretty cool. I, I've kind of already started dipping my toes in a little bit uh, with the beta, and it's it's been really fun. So we got a lot to talk about. The blog post uh, covers it pretty well, but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to go into it. But first, word from our sponsors. Hello, I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. Matt and I started our consulting company, 201 Created, five years ago. We've been passionate about Ember and its community since we started and are proud to be able to sponsor Ember Weekend. Our clients have included Fortune 50 companies and Y Combinator startups. If your team needs Ember training or advice or wants to learn how to make open source work for you, visit us at www.201-created.com or follow us on Twitter at 201 T-W-O underscore O-H underscore O-N-E. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, as we mentioned in the lead in the Ember 3.0 upgrade, I guess we should also mention that because it's a little abnormal, the 2.18 release is an LTS and the LTSs are usually every fourth version and it was like 2.12 and 2.16. So this one is a little bit of an early LTS because it is the last version that has all the intimate APIs from uh, 2.16 before the 3.0 release. Right. And this, like all the other major version bumps, like 2.18 doesn't actually remove anything. It just kind of like, there's a bunch of deprecations now. And then I think even what, even in 3.0, there's, are there any new deprecations introduced? No. So from 2.18 to 3.0, I don't think there's any actual like real changes. That's kind of a big part of it. They want the transition to be smooth. But the intimate APIs and the private APIs have been pared down a little bit. I do believe, and this is uh, something that you know I haven't been working too closely in this space. So I mean, take you know take this for for a grain of salt, uh, or with a grain of salt. But I believe that a lot of the stuff that is being deprecated is going to be shipped and behind feature flags, so that an add-on, a legacy add-on, can be turned on to basically allow some backward compat for a little buffer period. So maybe, I want to say it's maybe like the first two versions of Ember. I'm not positive. We'll get more details on that and report on it next episode. But I do believe that there's going to be a legacy add-on that will kind of hide these things. So there's some deprecations or, or removals from the private API and, and some other places in Ember 3.0 that are still going to be shipped with Ember for a little while. So like there's bigger wins to be had down the road. But to make sure that transition is is possible for people, there are, there's going to be these buffer add-ons. So that'll be really neat. And most of these things, they're not like the major one I remember in the past was the legacy controllers. That was a massive thing to like lose in an app that you're trying to upgrade. Legacy views, right? Well, they had legacy views and legacy controllers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, with the array array controllers and stuff, right? Right. And, and some of how controllers behaved inside of templates, like the word controller meant something. And now it just blows up if you try to use it. That fix was like much harder. These fixes that we're seeing now, like some of the ones we'll go into, they're all generally really easy. They're just like, oh, yeah, if you see this, replace it with this. If you see this, replace it with that. Actually, there's a lot of them that are like the Ember K. They just have like a uh, code gen module that will just go over it and just fix it for you. So there's actually the upgrade here. Most of these seem pretty easy. Yeah, you know, I, I find that that to be really interesting, too. Like the, the code mons have become this really like integral part of upgrade strategies because it, it does make it considerably easier. You run a little you know, a little program and then you make sure you have a, you know, a clean working Git directory and then run the program and then verify things are done and then you're you're good. You get this whole, you know, 
somebody else has helped you with the problem already, which is pretty cool. It's very, very, very satisfying to see those commits as well. Although uh, it does make, for me at least, I don't have like easy muscle memory for doing git blame one file back or one commit back from the most recent. Do you do you know of a way to do that? If you do git blame, if you're using the one in, in or if you do a, a g blame in Vim, the, the thing that comes up on the left, the commit history, if you hit the enter, it'll actually show a diff and it'll show the last one too. So you can actually go back to the next one and you can keep walking the chain back. Oh, really? I found that out like a month ago and I've been using it for like two years. <laughs> yeah, I've always just opened the, the most recent commit and I think GitHub has some really good things about that too. So, I mean, it, it's really cool. The upgrade strategies there are are, are pretty great. So I guess let's, uh, let's talk about a, a few of the things. I've actually upgraded my client app to use Ember 3.0 and uh, like Ember.js, the Ember source uh, package to 3.0 beta, just to test it and ran into a couple of interesting things. The most interesting one that I actually had to change because I have a really old code base or parts of it are really old <laughs> anyways, is now when you when you call because of the ECMA 5 getters RFC, which was I think RFC 281, we talked about it last episode a little bit. Now in Ember 3, there is an assertion when you try to access a setter or access a commuted property like that, like, you know, this dot foo instead of this dot get foo, there is an error that will throw or an assertion that will throw if you don't have the five getter feature flag enabled. And the, the, the reason behind that is that previously that would return undefined. And there's a couple of things that you could do for that. I think Chase, you, you want to go into an example of, of why that is, but you know, you might've found a way to use, use that fact, but that the fact that it returned undefined was kind of an implementation detail so instead of just letting that return undefined, it actually throws now. And it throws this really long and very detailed deprecation warning that was really nice. And it was, I think it was addressed to future traveler, but yeah, so, <laughs> which I think is funny. And yeah, that was, that was actually probably the, the biggest difficult change that was not uh, listed in the blog post, which we're going we're gonna to go into those in a second. But Chase, you were thinking that you would use the, um, the fact that it returns undefined as basically a check to see if there is a computer defined at all on the object. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way, a reason why this wouldn't just be a simple fix, like where it wouldn't have just been a bug anyway, that like you didn't know that that was what was happening and it just happened to work because you, you might have been checking basically if the thing responded to that function and you were trying to say, if this thing has this, then I'm, I, I know I have an object or something. But the only reason why that might have actually been relevant to you is if you knew that it was happening and what you're trying to do is maybe check that it had the computed property but the computed you knew was expensive to calculate, so you didn't want it to trigger. And that that's like the only reason I could think that you might have that. So it's most likely if you're doing this and you see this, you just replace it with get the thing and then you fix it. You actually found a bug and you fixed it. I, I, I can't think of any other reason why you would need that behavior. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. And, and I, I really think that it was largely a bug before or you were doing some really you know advanced trickery to, to do something kind of uh, fun. Yeah, so so that was a that was a, a strange one that wasn't really listed in the blog post that I thought was interesting. I also noticed in in my endeavor that Ember CLI Fastboot is not compatible yet. So that's something that you should definitely be aware of. Uh, that doesn't have to do with Ember Source, which is you know what I was able to actually you know successfully um, upgrade at this point. But if your app relies on Ember CLI Fastboot, there is an issue, and the issue is Ember CLI Fastboot five sixty three, and it's basically just about Ember three zero compatibility. The error right now is that. Ember CLI no longer sets on its project object uh, node modules path or yeah, node, node modules path. And that that it just hasn't been addressed in Ember CLI yet. But I know that it's already being tracked and uh, I know that it's going to be uh, worked on soon. So that's you know part of why we do betas. 
And then uh, what is what is the other thing? Hmm. Well, there, there's a couple that I wanted to mention that like one because they're they're in templates, so they can be a little harder to actually fix um, because there's there's no automated way to, to go do this. So the one one is render. I didn't see an example of how to fix this, but I would I would suspect that if you if you're using render and you're just like handing it a template, that you could probably just replace it with a component that just has a a template file. It should be a rel- like if you're using render, you can probably just replace the thing with a component, and and it's pretty you know straightforward. But it is kind of manual because there's no way to just automatically generate the file, and and then and then change the template accurately without just doing like a a, a regular expression match. And then the other one was the link to is changing a little bit. I guess I just never used this feature, but link to if you would get, if you gave it a controller instead of like the model, it would automatically dot the model. You know, it'd like get the it'd get the model out of the controller. Oh wow! You know, I didn't actually know it did that. Yeah, exactly. And again, this is one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll just do dot model. Like it's a really easy fix. I'm not sure how how the error message is going to look, whether it's going to be very specific. But one of the things I was noticing with legacy controllers when I was upgrading is that you can't usually use the word controller as a as a property anywhere. Like, like you can't say like link to controller. You couldn't hand a controller off because the template actually explicitly says controller is not about to be used unless you have legacy views and controllers and it's only supported to like 246 or something. So I don't know, I don't even know how you would even have this code available. I think maybe it might have been not even possible since 25 something. Which, because like the legacy controllers actually works until like 253 or something. But yeah, so I, that one, again, it should be really easy to fix. You probably don't even have it because I, I can't think of any place I've ever seen that even happen. And, and then the other one that's basically really easy is did init adders on components. You just, now the adders are already initted when init gets called. So you already have access to them. So you don't have to wait to did init adders. So that one seems like a pretty easy fix too. You just move all that code in your init. And then uh, some other really cool things. I, I did this a little bit before, but new projects will now use the overrides in your um, ESLint uh, RC file. So instead of having an, RC, an ESLint file in the root of your application and then in the root of your test directory, you only have one and it overrides for node files and things like that. So it just just does that all, all automatically. And, and I made that switch maybe, I don't know, like three or four weeks ago. And it was just because like we literally had, uh, in our code base, we had rules that were being enforced in test land and rules that were being enforced, like different sets of rules in, in uh, app land. And it, it, was, it was just weird. And just moving them o- over with overrides made it really simple and easy to understand and one place to know that, you know, both things were happening. I think, I think it actually, it, it arose because of Mocha exclusivity. So we had some node tests that were, were not asserting on the exclusivity. So we actually shipped a PR that had an, a dot only on the Mocha test. So like it was only running one test. And we have an ESLint rule that would blow up if that is the case. You know, it says, hey, like you cannot have this this dot only flag here. It's just as bad as, you know, having a debugger in there. But it was it was in one place. The rule was in one place, but not in the other. So it's better just have it in one location where you can kind of do at least a visual audit to say, hey, listen, like we're having inconsistent rules because you're looking in two different files. So that's a really cool one. I think that's great. And I think that's for new file or new projects. And then node node seven has been removed from the CI matrix. And I, you know, I think this is mostly because they want to follow node LTSs for security releases. Is that is that right? I'm not sure, but I mean six ten is still an LTS, right? So I um I don't think it's been removed. I think eight eight nine is, and I I don't think they have a nine one yet. So I would think six is still LTS, but I don't, I don't know why they removed node seven. I guess oh oh I, I see what you're saying. So they have node six ten, and they have probably. Node eight nine, but they're not doing node seven something because you should just be on eight if you're on seven. 
Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Because like Node, Node 7 didn't really introduce anything crazy. There's no LCS in it. And there's no reason why you would why you'd be that far back. Then you couldn't just go up to 8. So, yeah. Yeah. And then another, another change that we thought were, was really cool is that now when you use NPM link and the add-on your NPM linking also has an NPM link, it will correctly follow them, which I'm sure drove some add-on authors pretty nutty. So that's pretty cool. And I think we, we kind of buried the lead here. I think 218 is going to be the last IE or last Ember to support IE 9 and 10. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's obviously like and PhantomJS actually. Well, well, that's got a lot of people freaked out, though, right? It does. It does. Yeah, not a ton of people. Some people I work with were just immediately like, "Wait, wait, red flag! We have to support IE10 still." So we we got some info on that, right? Yeah. So I want to figure out some more about it, but I'm pretty sure that you'll be able to use targets to still specify targets lower than IE10. But I, I really want to figure that out and nail that down. But there's there's a lot more uh, details in the blog post, and there was a discussion RFC that we mentioned like a long time ago about dropping IE9 and 10 support that has a lot more details. So um, we'll make sure to link to that so that we can have like a follow up discussion to make sure that you know everyone who needs the support is still covered. I'm pretty sure you can just set the targets though to your your necessary platform. Right, and and like if you have decent tests. And you have your target set, and you're and you run CI against IE10, then you're fine. The only thing you're risking if Ember is not running tests against IE10 is that at some point they can introduce a at any point in time, they can have like a, a patch version that breaks something that you had. That's like the biggest risk you run. But like, it's not necessarily saying this will break in IE10, but we need to get more information on that because it is possible. Like there is some JavaScript feature they could just introduce that would just immediately break compatibility. But I don't remember hearing anything about that. We'll get a little more information on that, though. Yeah, we'll we'll bring it up next time. I th- I'd li- I'd really like to have a core person from CLI or 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 source to to kind of like hop on and let's just discuss that in more depth. So that's something that we'll we'll aim to do in a future episode. I almost want to wait till the community survey comes out and just see see how many people are actually still on i nine ten because that's one of the questions that's always asked, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be really really nice to see. Like, I'd love to see that decrease down to like almost nothing. So there's a lot more. Uh, definitely read the blog post. It's, it's well written. There's been a lot of people working on it to make sure that the transition here is well documented and easy and straightforward. And we don't really, you know, the Ember community wants to bring everyone together into Ember 3 with as little trouble as possible. And that's a huge priority. So now is the time to test those betas. So test the Ember 3.0 beta on your app and and be sure to reach out and comment on this as much as possible because, you know, the idea is that we want this to be as smooth as possible. It should be just, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of commands using the Ember CLI update tool and you're, you're pretty much off to the races. So definitely test out the Ember 3.0 betas. Read this blog post. Let us know what you think. And like I said, we're going to be following this up in the next episode. We're going to be following up with more details on the IE support and... All of the all of the other things that you know we kind of like want to get more. We want to drill down a little bit more deeply as we kind of approach the three O release, the stable release. So check it out and let us know what you think. And I already kind of alluded to it at the end of the last segment, but the community survey is coming up. And you know, every year this happens right around EmberConf, and then the results get announced at EmberConf. And two hundred one created is looking for an intern to help with this process. They do this every year. They they get another a different intern to kind of like manage these results. And it's a good way to get exposure to Ember. It's designed for kind of like a, a more beginner person to get involved in the community quickly and get spun up in Ember and the overall community. 
So if you're interested in that, you get a pass to EmberConf. So that's all comped. You get to hang out with a bunch of cool people. It's definitely a good thing. If you're interested, reach out to 201 and apply. Yeah, and uh, and this this is the community survey that we do to really kind of understand where the community is. And I think it was actually really interesting. Last year, we saw kind of a shift from the year previous uh, to a little bit more larger companies using Ember and a little bit less consulting using using it like as a as a demographic of developers. And it's really it's always great to hear like feedback of like you know what 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 can be changed, what can be made better, and it's just a it's just a really good effort to better understand the community. So uh, I think this is really great a great opportunity to you know maybe get your first contribution and to hang out and stuff. So yeah, definitely reach out if you're interested. Yeah, we'll see you there. All right, thanks for listening to the end. Once again, we're Ember Weekend, and it's been great uh, having you. Definitely uh, interested in in seeing the feedback this time around the uh, the update to Ember 3.0. If you want to follow along, follow along at Ember Weekend, all one word on Twitter. Or reach out to us at the topic Ember Weekend Slack channel in the Ember JS community Slack. And uh, I guess that's it. So uh, I'm Jonathan Jackson. And I'm Chase McCarthy. And we'll see you next time.